You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And Matt, it's a big franchise. We're starting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You've heard they exist. But you never believed they were real. Because you never actually seen them. Until now. Just what is going on out there, April? They're mean. Hey, what are you, some sort of punker? God, I hate punkers. Especially bald ones with green makeup. They're green. What the heck was that? Look like sort of a big title in a trench coat. And they're on the screen. God, I love being a guy! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Prepare to be shell-shocked. That's right. Connected from last week where we talked about Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we figured what better time than now. The often requested, the much requested, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles first movie. Yeah, I hope Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird are listening to us. Yeah, and hopefully uh, they don't want to sue us because it seems like they've branded the fuck out of these guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, also, they kind of just like, after a while, one by one, they decided like, eh, they're just going to sell the turtles off and they've gone off in their own direction. But man, what a universe they created. And this in this movie just felt very groundbreaking. It really kicked in the 90s. It, sh- it shouldn't have worked. And it works really well, like in terms of being a success. Uh, it was the most successful independent movie of all time at the time when it came out. This movie, I don't know. I think it really shaped things for the way way to come. And it was uh, a big deal movie for a lot of kids and people our age. New Line and the Turtles. That was my first New Line movie that I knew New Line did it or distributed it. I mean, they distributed it. I don't know how much they had to do with the production of it. But just to see how many movies that shaped our childhood, their names attached to. Yeah, just strong connection for our generation. Beyond Freddy and then all the movies we've talked about on this podcast, The Mask and everything from New Line. They they really did shape us, I think, with these kind of movies. And New Line was the people that did these first three movies that were so important to a generation of fans and brought in a slew of all new fans because as I've mentioned in the last episode we did, I was not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I didn't read the books. I didn't watch the show. I just kind of missed it. I was kind of watching more of the nineties cartoons and stuff when I was growing up, but I found the movies when I was young and the movies really like hooked me kind of to the world because I really liked some of the movies. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely one of the first big event movies I remember as a kid. I was seven years old, 
And I remember in the theater seeing this poster. I don't know what we watched, probably some children's film or whatever. And seeing the teaser poster to this, and it just, like, goosebumps. It was a kid that just, like, I could not not see this. And my parents couldn't stop us. We were cheering so much. You know, my brother, younger brothers were six, and we went and saw this. This was a big deal. This I remember. This just kind of changed our little kid lives. Historic, you know, it felt like because because the cartoon was such a thing for, yeah, your generation. Yeah, like making a movie of it when movies had still like a, a power to them and a mystique to them because you didn't know everything about them before they came out. It was, yeah, it was, it must have been so exciting. My gateway into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before I saw these movies was the uh, coming out of their shells tour. That was kind of the first thing I saw. So it was all up from there. And then, yeah, and then it it was the movies after that. That was the kind of the first, my first introduction to them as a kid. And then, and then finding the movies afterwards and, you know, as the, as they were being released, kind of catching up to them. Those turtle sing-alongs are some of the scariest turtle heads I've ever seen. Yeah, they're pretty hilarious. <laughs> but in our kid brains, I, I at least for me, I felt like it, it, they were real. Oh, oh yeah, because we were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like making, we were filling in the cracks with our own imagination. I wish we still could do that. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I really thought they were they were real. And I will say transitioning into the movie here i still think that these turtles in this movie look real these are some amazing effects yeah this movie does have an amazing ability where you're like you're looking at it you know those are men in suits with an animatronic head on top you know like you can even see in the hd versions of these which by the way this film's so much better to watch on vhs because it just kind of like covers up a lot of the like well we couldn't do much about the lines on these costumes, all right? What do you want us to do? But when you watch it in HD on a big screen, you're like, okay, they did the best they could. They didn't know everyone would be watching these in HD in like 30-something years. Yeah, exactly. They were they were aiming for one theatrical run and then VHS. So yeah, so. That's, what they, that's how they look best. And luckily, I watched this one on the VHS, so I got the pure experience. Oh, it's so good. It's so dark and gritty and the shadow, everything is casting uh, such like heavy shadows. I loved watching this film so much as a kid. We used to play the game of you put in the tape and you'd have to guess what you're watching. You know, whoever could guess it the fastest would win. I don't know what we ever won. This is one of the ones where like you would get so excited that you knew this movie was playing off that Pizza Hut commercial. <laughs> but at the same time disappointed at how easy it was to guess You're like this is an easy one to guess guys come on man since the pizza hood commercial comes on you know that right field song is playing i play right field it's important you know you gotta know how to catch you gotta know how to throw that's why i play in right field way out where the dandelions grow as a proud sponsor of little league baseball pizza hut welcomes all the kids who make it great, make it great. 
so we have the same VHS because <laughs> that is exactly how this VHS starts. <laughs> yeah, and it's really hard to like, I guess we're going to have to really just try to concentrate on the film on this because there's so much with the toys, the comics, the cartoons, the like world that it's created afterwards. So I'm going to do my best to stay focused <laughs> yes um but luckily i won't deviate too much on my tangents i love to go on uh because i don't know much of this world beyond the movies so well i can't tell you my favorite toy oh oh already deviating <laughs> it, it's crank it always has been i had a crank toy and i wasn't a super super fan but i knew who he was and how could you not it's the fucking brain <laughs> it's gross of course i liked it yeah oh and i also loved it's like body that he traveled around in yeah oh i wish i still had that oh i love that toy that was awesome but we actually brought the toys uh our ninja turtles and splinter which no one ever wanted to play with splinter but we brought them to the theater we watched this with the toys from what i remember could be making that up but i'm pretty sure that we were playing with the toys on top of the seats in front of us that is 100 percent the way to watch this movie. yes <laughs> you did it a hundred percent correctly without even trying perfect <laughs> let's talk about this vhs so this cover is perfect <laughs> it literally sells exactly what every kid wants big huge bold words teenage mutant ninja turtles at the bottom the movie the turtles are ready to party right underneath their title yeah, that's all you need. You Here's the turtles. Here's the title. With its like font with like the green behind it, it's like saying, hey, this is like cinematic. This is like a movie of these guys. <laughs> well, and the turtles are actually poking out a little bit. Uh, I don't know how you describe this. Is yeah, they're raised. It's awesome. Perfect selling of this movie. And this is my VHS from childhood. It's a little rough. It's had some love on it. <laughs> yeah, it's still together. Played the tape. The tape's a little rough. <laughs> can't wait to put the clips on the youtube you know that i always do that we play for this podcast on youtube because people are really gonna see what it looked like great going to the back here the production stills again perfect we've got leonardo on the top left in the the middle top we've got Raphael and april o'neill and she's got her uh, leggings on i like it nice and then we got uh casey jones in a little bit the barcode Makes them shrink this one, but Casey Jones is hanging out with Danny. Our main kind of kid who's at a crossroads here. So we got some quotes here. Charmed the shell out of me. Oh, ho, ho! the most <laughs> original idea in years. Joel Siegel, you sly devil. <laughs> Good morning, America. That's why he was on it. Because he said quotes like charmed the shell out of me that they could put on boxes. <laughs> the most popular heroes this side of the Batcave from Ben Clayland. Los Angeles Times syndicate. I don't know who he is. We've got Jim Henson's done a spectacular job in bringing the turtles to life from Norbert Sparrow from LA Parent Magazine. I do know why they put that one quote on top because the other quotes are just like kind of describing, you know, what I thought too. Jim Henson's done a hell of a job. Good job, dude. Funny enough to have a reference to the Batcave after we just talked about the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last week. Yeah, it's a perfect matchup. All right, you want to read the description? Now you can catch America's favorite green teens in their first live-action blockbuster film. 
After wading in a puddle of radioactive waste, these radical reptiles are transformed into New York City's greatest crime-fighting quartet. Featuring hot new music by MC Hammer, this film will captivate adults and kids alike with its blend of humor, camaraderie, and martial arts action. Don't miss this blockbuster movie. You'll have one shell of a good time. Oh, turtle puns. Can't get enough of them. <laughs> I also love in this movie, and I think they do it in the first two a lot. Donatello can never be cool. <laughs> you know, like say something cool. He's like, Bossa Nova. Bossa and everybody's Nova. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's the brother that just doesn't quite get it. Until Cowabunga sticks at the end. <laughs> I made that funny. Ha 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 ha. I love you, Splinter. I also love the puppet that is Splinter. That's incredible what they did with Splinter. He's amazing. He's real. Like I can I see him there and that is a character brought to life to me. It is real. And when we get to the second one, we're going to have to bring up how much they improved Splinter. He's really good in this one, but in the second one, he's ridiculous. I think by the time we get to part two, you know, just comparing what having just watched this one, effects do improve. But that's not really too much of a dig at this movie because the effects are still really good in this one. The budget, I think, on this one was $13.5 and it shows. Now, I wonder if they started seeing the dailies and everything they did with the puppeteering, if they decided to put more money into this to get music and, you know, because when they initially come out with the trailer... The trailer doesn't have the voices in it. It's just whoever was doing the puppeteering at the time. You know, when you hear like, man, I love being a turtle from Michelangelo. It's not the voice actor. It's the guy who did the puppeteering. I love being a turtle. Interesting. I think they probably all thought their voices were going to be the turtles. And then when they saw how big this is going to be, they pulled in other actors. We have voice actors, Corey Feldman. Yeah. One of the guys is one of them, though, right? One of the four is? Maybe. I don't quite remember who was taken out, other than Donatello, who is... Wait, Corey Feldman is Donatello, right? I don't know their names. <laughs> I don't know which one is which. Yeah, Corey Feldman's Donatello. I thought he was, yeah. Such a bad Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I don't know them apart. <laughs> oh, you don't know the turtles apart? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, Leo is always blue. Okay. And then Donatello is purple. So those are your cool colors. And then you go to more of your warm colors. You got Raphael, who's, you know, like the savage bully who's always angry in this film. He's red. So you can think about that. And then you got Michelangelo is orange. He's the goofy guy. And also remember that you're the worst podcast host ever for not knowing the turtles. <laughs> I don't know the turtles. <laughs> I forget every time. I forget. I don't. I, I'm not embedded in the world. I uh, I always every time I watch the movies, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the purple one. <laughs> the nerd, the nerdy one. <laughs> and it was weird to me that Corey Feldman was Donatello, why they chose him, because Corey Feldman would have been more of kind of the Raphael. Like when you think about because he was always kind of playing the rebellious characters. Yeah, the kind of mouth esque character. Yeah. Yeah. So I was surprised, but I don't know. Maybe Corey Feldman would have been Raphael in the 90s. But in 89, he was doing Donatello. I don't know. I don't I don't know why they chose it that way. I think you have a good theory. They might have brought in people like Corey Feldman after the success of like that first trailer. I think so they might have saw the excitement and been like, okay, we gotta bring some we gotta bring some boys talent in for these things. I don't know how you could watch that trailer. If if it went this way, how you could watch that trailer and not think this is gonna be a hit 
because there's no way you can watch a trailer and think it's going to go direct to video. That trailer is awesome. Maybe that trailer is what helped propel it too. You know, maybe that's what took it over the finish line and in terms of its success. The Turtles from day one, like when they said they put out the comic book, like all their comic books were sold. I mean, they didn't print a ton, but then brought it to to get the toys made. It took a little while. You know, they had to get the three cartoon episodes and they had a problem selling it. But when the Turtles toys hit, you know, KB Toys and Toys R Us and everything like this, I think it was Toys R Us that initially bought them. It like never stopped. It was on fire until the mid 90s when it finally started to slow down. The Turtles were everywhere. I don't think, you know, like with you born in you were born in 90. 89. 89. With you born, like it's hard for you to know or understand how big they were. The turtles were everywhere. Lunchboxes, pajamas, underwear, movies, you know, on the shelves of toys. It just like engulfed my childhood. Splinter the rat, leader of the turtles, taught them each the ninja arts. Now he must face something far more deadly. The Shredder, leader of the Foot Clan and sworn enemy of the Turtles. It seems so good to be so bad. How can a good rat avoid a bad cut-up? From Playmates. I said at the beginning here, I feel like I did kind of miss it, but I didn't necessarily miss miss it because it was obviously still there were new movies coming out. The cartoon was still on. The toys were still on the shelf. They were there, but it was almost like in my child brain, just something that's always existed type thing. You know, like I didn't I didn't catch it as it started. Like I did, for say, example, like the Batman animated series. I saw when they started doing that, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it just it's, it was already there. It was already established. So, yeah, I sort of missed the phenomenon of it. Yeah, I mean, mine was kind of with Star Wars. Uh, it was already there. It always existed. It was always big. A lot of times when I was coming into it as a kid, you know, my cousin, older cousins or older brother would be like, yeah, this is awesome. How do you not know about this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm three. <laughs> I was just born. I don't know. <laughs> Someone has to tell me about these things. But it was always there. And I imagine that was kind of like what the turtles were. God, this is what I grew up with. The turtles just were everything. <laughs> I remember being so excited every Christmas morning when I got new turtles until they started to get really weird. Christmas morning when my mom got me one, it was called like Lionheart or something like that. It was a lion. And I think that was at the point where I'm like, you know, I think the turtles have kind of gone a little crazy. <laughs> they have jumped at the shark, so to speak. <laughs> and then they did it for like another four seasons because I think that went on for like 10 seasons. And then finally, after a while, they're like, Put the turtles in space. We, you know, at a certain point, it's just like, maybe we should stop. <laughs> and then and then they put them in suits again and made a Power Rangers a series after that. Then. <laughs> and didn't they actually blend the Power Rangers and turtles in one episode? Yeah, there's a crossover. There is. Yeah, of course, Fox Kids did that. You want Rangers? You got to go through turtles. Mutants. Well, at least you got that right. It's time for some shell shock. Are those things? I can't believe it, but I think they're. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course. <laughs> it's probably because they put so much money in the Ninja Turtles. They're like, well, put them with the Power Rangers. Maybe they'll pump it up a little bit, get the ratings going. And comparatively, I think this is a good example. Like Power Rangers, for me growing up, 
was my Ninja Turtles. You know, I saw it start. I had the lunchboxes. I bought all the toys. You know, I had the same feeling going to the movie theater to see that movie that you probably did going to see this movie. Probably. And then I was the older kid. I was like, Power Rangers is okay, but Turtles was much better. They were green and awesome. Similarly, whatever a popular kids thing was around in the 2000s, that was the thing I was dogging on being like Power Rangers was better. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a vicious cycle. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's finally pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. We've already talked about the Pizza Hut commercial. Easy to predict. Uh, right when you put it in, like, oh, we're watching the Turtles. I'm happy. Yeah, uh, I love this commercial. Took me right back. Took me right back to the 90s Pizza Hut commercials. And I'm going to treat myself today. I think I'm going to order a pizza because I was watching this movie yesterday. and I was like, fuck, now all I want in this world is pizza. <laughs> yeah, no shit. All the pizza in here. Even though the pizza at the beginning of this film looks a little gross. Yeah, the Domino's delivery, but then I think to myself, Domino's in the 90s is probably how it did look. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I remember Domino's was always made fun of. It was gross in the 90s. It was bad. Dude, it was Pizza Hut or die. So we have a Pizza Hut commercial to start this, and then we have Domino's delivery in the movie. I always find that weird. I think Pizza Hut came later because isn't Pizza Hut heavily then featured in the second one? Well, I don't know. Why didn't Domino's take advantage of this? Domino's were like, we'll get in on the movie. But then Pizza Hut had the forethought to be like, no, we'll do it after the movie. (laughs) Or when the movie's coming out. Domino's got in on being in the movie. Pizza Hut got in on the marketing. And maybe that's what benefited Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut was a destination. It was a treat. When my parents took me to Pizza Hut, it was like special. Or if there was a kid's birthday party there, like that was like a big deal. Yeah, the good old days, like just watching Ninja Turtles on a Friday, Saturday. Yeah, why not? Sunday right before school. This is Turtles, Turtles, Turtles. This is a movie you put on at your friend's house or at like your relative's house when like all the kids are together, you know, like for a holiday. This is a weekend movie and this is like a, a get together with friends, get together with peers type movie. This is a it just yeah, it just signifies that simpler time. And then also like, of course, this is a movie that just plays right into that genre. Yeah. And they establish the city the whole look and feel of this movie so quickly with like the beginning when April O'Neil's doing her newscast over the Foot Clan and all these kids stealing stuff and there's a crime wave. And, you know, then just so quickly, April O'Neil gets like mugged in the subway and Raphael just goes ballistic on the Foot Clan members. Then again, he's it's also hilarious because he's in a trench coat and a hat. And we're supposed to, as adults, like buy that, like, yeah, no one noticed. It's fine. This is a giant turtle walking around. I got it. Casey Jones is just like, yeah, with green makeup and weird heads. And it's like, nah, no, you'd be like, that's a fucking turtle, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always love it when he flips over the cab and they're like, what was that? And he's like, that kind of looks like a giant turtle in a trench coat. Where are you going again? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck was that? Look like sort of a big title in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? I guess it is New York, and everybody is sort of just like, eh, yeah. <laughs> there's weirdos here. We don't know. <laughs> Before our feature presentation, let's listen to a message from our friends at WLP Radio. Haley Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard. 
Waylon Jordan and Jeremy Herbert, five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> and now, our feature presentation. Since we're getting into the beginning of the movie here, I do like that this movie sets up sort of a vibe that is a combination of like the comic book dark, steamy city kind of vibe mixed with sort of the fun of the cartoon. I feel like this blends the this first movie blends the two of those really well. If it wasn't for the stupid parents, they'd be able to use their uh, weapons in the rest of the movies. This is what we loved about this film. Like when Raphael's just like yelling, damn, like three or four times <laughs> in this film. We loved it. It blew our minds as a kid. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's treating the audience or, it, you know, which is it's a PG movie, which is going to be kids. But it's treating them like with enough respect that it's not like super parentally thinned out, you know, <laughs> like it's got the violence. It's got like him being like, damn, you know, it's like they're it's cool. It's cool for kids. And they establish the personalities of the turtles so well, so quickly that you know them. Except for me, but that's just because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm just so disappointed, Matt. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. When they're just going through this and how Raphael's always, you know, brooding, going off on his own, fighting, fighting Casey Jones, fighting the Foot Clan. It's fun. And when he loses the sigh, I remember as a kid, like, how's he going to get that back? <laughs> neil has got it now and then like how april o'neill is freaking out when she sees the turtles you know like a normal person but then again at the same time she adjusts pretty quickly she's like well turtles in the sewer they're giant humanoid and they're ninjas they love pizza come on over to my apartment and have some pizza with me <laughs> what really starts this all off is um, splinter gets kidnapped by the foot clan and we get a really badass introduction to this hideout for kids, which when I saw this as a kid was like a destination spot, you know, like a goal in my life. How do I get to this warehouse? Yeah, where kids can just be kids and play video games and skateboard and yeah, get into fights and stuff like that. Like, yeah, this was like every 90s kid's dream come true and just eating all the snacks and stuff they have. Yeah, and Sam Rockwell's like giving me cigarettes for some yeah. reason <laughs> i was like okay uh and then they were playing poker and i always remember wanting to play poker uh so bad as a kid for some reason because i saw this movie i'm like that just i don't know what that game is but it looks awesome they're like betting stuff and i'm not supposed to bet and they look so intense about it and it's like yeah. i want to i want to get in on that <laughs> i don't know what that is but sweet i only play uno <laughs> <laughs> That introduction to the Shredder, I remember as a kid watching that in the theater and just like, oh my gosh, Shredder is so cool. Only effort, discipline, loyalty, 
earn the right to wear the dragon doji. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. I want you all to become full members of the foot. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature who interfere with our business. You are my eyes and ears. Find them. Together we will punish these creatures. These turtles. The outfit's amazing. The costume design here is great. I love Shredder. I think he looks so cool. There is a uh, making of the Ninja Turtles uh, where it shows Eastman and he was, I think it was Eastman who came up with this. He's like, he put like a shred, a, you know, shredders for food and everything on his wrists. And he's like, wouldn't it be cool if a character had, you know, like stuff like this on their wrist, they'd be impossible to beat. That's how they came up with the main bad guy that they killed in the first episode or the first comic book of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I love how they talk about it. They're like, we killed the main bad guy in the first one because, I mean, we didn't know. We, we were just, like, drawing something for fun. But, like, any good arch-villain came back. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> all the cartoons and all of the movies, like, Shredder became the mainstay. Yeah, good for them. And what, a, what an iconic character. And, yeah, again, what a great look here in this movie. The movie's pacing is so good until we get... You know, till they're like out in the middle of the woods, like after being defeated and they have to regroup. The movie does slow down. I think it's the worst paced part in the film. I'm okay with it. This film's only 95 minutes. And for 85% of the film, it flies. The first 30 minutes edited perfect. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. I think, yeah, the only time the movie does slow down is those cabin scenes. Uh, and they're not even that bad. I my, my thing that I'm like addicted to when I watch these kind of movies that are based on some other kind of intellectual property, like uh, based on comic books or TV shows or toys or whatever. I love like within the first half hour, sort of the world building. And that doesn't always mean like an origin story. I don't need like an origin story every time. Just like set me up in this world of the comic book or toys or whatever, whatever the, whatever the IP is. I love when movies do it well. And I do think that this movie does it really well. I get a vibe for the New York that they are setting up mm -hmm. really well in these first 30 minutes and it flies by and I eat it up. I love swimming in these new worlds. After the teaser trailer, seeing all four turtle heads poking out from the sewer lid and how they're always traveling in sewers in New York, I always thought like this was New York. Like there was an entire underground world, which there is, but no one's fucking going in there. Yeah, nobody wants any part of that. <laughs> and Casey Jones is the only smart one. He's like, whoa, we're going there? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to sleep in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and Casey Jones is badass in this. Well, that was a crime, you purse scrubbing pukes. And this is uh, the penalty. <laughs> two minutes for slashing, two minutes for hooking. And let's not forget my personal favorite, two minutes for high stick. <laughs> About a five-minute game misconduct for roughing, pal. Hey, bogey. Now, who died and made you referee? You did your job. Now, get out of here and let me do mine. These JV lowlifes need to be taught a lesson. Not like that, they don't. Not from you. 
Well, it looks like you're the one who needs to be taught a lesson, pal. Class is pain 101. Your instructor's Casey Jones. Yeah, Elias Codius, or however you say his name, Coteus. Um, he is perfect, I think, as Casey Jones in this movie. I like him more than the casting of April. And and that's something against Judith Hogg, who I think is good in the movie. But uh, Elias Cody is Casey Jones in this movie. No, he knows what film he's in. Yes. <laughs> like, he just took this character and created his own little... Like, I don't know how much direction they gave him, honestly, but it just looks like he's just like, I know who this is. Don't worry, I got this. And he's just like one of these guys, just like, yeah, man, I was in the minor league baseball system, but I hurt myself. And then for some reason, now he's being uh, a vigilante at night, helping people and beating up bad guys with all these sports weapons, which, okay. <laughs> it's like, like, think about this character. This guy one day just takes all of his sports memorabilia or all of his, you know, equipment goes out and he's like, I'm going to be a vigilante and beat the shit out of bad guys who are robbing the city. What a great concept for a character. And like, also what a great idea that he's not in any other situation. That's your main hero guy. But no, we still have the turtles. He's just like kind of part of the team. He's one of the sidekicks, one of the side characters in this thing. How fun that they do this. And also I wanted to say too, the mask looks like it's ripped straight out of the cartoon. It looks great. The hockey mask he wears. It's great. They do a really good job. All of the costuming in this is fantastic. Yes. And let's get to the the MVP of this entire film is the animatronic heads. Yes. Uh, What the actors can do, I know they switched out. Like Some actors were doing like the, the walking around, the talking, the interactions with each other. Then you had other actors who were doing the martial arts. Uh, But the same puppeteers were doing all the heads and you can find on YouTube. um, I think it's like coming out. I forget what it's called, but it's behind the scenes making the turtles. I don't know what it is, but they show how the puppeteers did this and it's movie magic. They are so good. They are so talented. The Jim Henson studio. I, I can't even put into words how impressed I am with what I watched. They brought it to life. They made these cartoon characters real and they're interacting with people and it looks, you believe it, it tricks your brain into really thinking that these things are real. It holds up so well. Yes, we can see some of the seams like when you look at the necks and you can tell where this one suit begins and the other and where the head begins or where the actual head starts and the suit ends on the neck. Okay, I get that. And there's a few shots where, you know, the legs look a little weird because you can tell it's like latex muscles everything like that but little bitty tiny nitpicks that don't even matter they brought turtles to life and splinter Mm -hmm. i mean because you know they had to go with jim henson and i know jim henson hated the violence in this and he was also part of why i mean i forget what year he passed away was it 1991 is 1990. So it was right when this movie was coming out, but I know when they were recording it and he saw a lot of the dailies and what they're putting together, he hated the violence. He was very disappointed in the film. You know, he did amazing work, but I have to disagree with uh, Mr. Henson here. So I do think I. that the, the violence, the fight scenes are another one of the standouts of this movie. Uh, they just look cool. You're, you're seeing the turtles in action. I know. The fights, how these actors pulled this off sweating their asses off doing all these athletic moves and kicking and punching and fighting just incredible because you know for like 
every punch and every kick. It's hours upon hours of planning and working. It's magic. This is movie magic. This is like one of the first, other than Star Wars, when I watched this as a kid, where it just, it literally transported me to a new world. Yes, I love when a movie can do that to me. That's the mad, that truly is the magic of movies to me. And that's the thing, that's the dragon I'm always chasing when I'm watching, and I just keep watching movies all the time. Uh, It's this, this magical transportation of truly believing something that cannot exist. And like, these turtles and in uh, Splinter are puppets, and I know that. <laughs> and I and I'm a, a movie nerd, but when I watch these movies, I swear that part of my brain just turns off, and I'm just into it. I'm like, "Yep, these are the turtles. These are real." I also love how many of these lines we echoed as kids. We were saying them all the time. Man, I love being a turtle, <laughs> and all their you know cowabunga, especially. And it still sticks with me to this day. I say dude all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's also because of Bill and Ted, but part of the time, you know, it was the late 80s, early 90s. that surfer culture was like a thing again. And we we like and the, it was the mixing of like the surfer culture and the Valley Boys, you know, mm-hmm. and it was its own language. And uh, yeah, like stuff like Cowabunga, it's, it's so iconic. Yeah. Talking about iconic is the end. When they get to the the top of the building, they're on the rooftop and they're fighting. That was badass as a kid because there was a point I remember watching in the theater. I'm like, I don't think they can beat the Shredder. He's that he's that good. And they actually didn't beat the Shredder. Splinter did. Splinter! Uh. Yes, Uwokusaki. I know who you are. We met many years ago in the home of my master, Omato Yoshi. It's him. You. Now I will finish what I began with your ear. Death comes for us all, Urokusaki. But something much worse comes for you. For when you die, it will... Without honor. The shot that I think is so iconic that I love about the end of this movie is when this helmet is getting crushed. In the mm-hmm. garbage truck, uh, Casey Jones pulls the lever, and the you see it like that's such like a movie moment, you know. We defeated the bad guy, and then you see the helmet getting like crushed in that garbage uh, smasher thing uh, in the back of the garbage truck. It's, it's so cinematic to me. When Splinter's gonna start his big long speech of why you know <laughs> the Shredder is a bad guy and how he's he's gonna die with honor, but then the Shredder just throws a sword at him and he falls down to the dumpster right away, and I'm like. <laughs> exactly (laughs) like i don't want to hear that shit i like you splinter but just just kill him (laughs) yeah right we don't got time for parables (laughs) yeah because we need to get on to partying and pizza yeah (laughs) now talking about the side characters the danny kid i really picked it up more as an adult here like it was supposed to be us traveling through the film because he's the one that gets to go to this warehouse and be with all these 
cool ninjas and everything and they're all fighting and becoming part of this like underground lost boys world mm-hmm. but i can't tell you sarah walked in and before i tell this story sarah sarah's a red a redhead okay <laughs> she walks in she goes oh why do they pick a redheaded boy to lead this film and i'm like wow <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> uh sarah likes redheaded girls but there's there's something about redheaded boys there she's like no they shouldn't be in films and just like walks <laughs> off <laughs> And I'm like, this poor Danny guy. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even notice he was a redhead. He, this was kind of perfect casting for the every kid. I guess Sarah didn't think so. <laughs> I thought he was good casting for like the every kid of the 90s. She wants to be the only redhead around, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> a, dom- a dominance thing, for sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. She's just like, what are you watching? I go, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> She's just like, fucking smashes Danny over the head. <laughs> It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. That's so funny. In the the father and Danny, that whole like dynamic that's going on the whole time. I was like, I guess he's a single father. That's what I was always trying to figure out. I was like, there's no wife here. Did she die? I don't know why I thought about it as, well, I know why I thought about it as an adult. That's the type of thing that goes through my heads in these. And I was just like, where's the mom in this situation? Is she gone? But we know they have money because he has that line where he's like, we have money. Why are you why are you stealing <laughs> when he's like reprimanding him? Yeah, he, he definitely was that type of dad where he, he kind of like is out of his element. He needs help. <laughs> I got to take him to school every day or the damn kid won't go. <laughs> and he's also a shitty boss at one time, but he does give her a raise in her own corner office at the end. So I'll let it slide. <laughs> I don't remember people talking so much about April in this film until we got to the newer films and everything. And then I heard they're like, yeah, but that original April O'Neil, she was a babe. I don't remember ever hearing anything like that as a kid until I got older. I feel like some fans of the movies really have a connection to her as as the April. And I I don't I kind of I don't mind sort of the rotating Aprils, you know, it doesn't. I don't have one in my head who like solidified the role. Well, I'd like to know why she didn't come back. I didn't do any research on it. Oh, she was difficult. She didn't like any of this. She didn't want to be there for this. Did a good job of acting then. I did not pick up that at all. And since I think since too, like obviously with the movie's success, uh, she's 180 and she loves it. And she embraces it and she's original April or whatever. But like, I think when she was doing it, yeah, they didn't want her to come back for the second one because she just didn't have a good time on this and they didn't want to work with that again. Oh, okay, Yeah, because she comes back for the Michael Bay films. Yeah, because at that point she had uh, yeah come around and realized sort of uh, the thing. I've made a mistake. (laughs) But yeah, they didn't they didn't want her back and she didn't want to come back for the second one. Yeah, she's one I'm surprised I haven't seen at cons like doing autographs. I think she's doing them now, pre-pandemic, but uh, I think I had seen her recently. Mistake. You should have definitely came back for the second and third. I don't even know who... I, I haven't seen the third one in such a long time, and I and I know it's going to be rough for me to swallow. Uh, I, I've, seen, I've seen the third one more recently than you, and I also don't remember a goddamn thing about it, so <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, the third one. Anyway, the second one's fun. <laughs> <laughs> More to come on the turtles. <laughs> All right. Here's a stupid question. Do you recommend this film? Absolutely. I can say as a person who never like got into the cartoon or the comics or anything like that, 
this is a great starter too. It's if you've never dove into the world of the turtles yet, you can start here. Like, and then if you, and then I would say then too, if you love the turtles, I think this movie works as well. I'd like to defend Mark Friedman. I mean, a lot of people thought what he did after the first movie came out was going to sink the entire franchise. No, dude, (laughs) you knocked it out of the ballpark. I know the original screening did not go well, but man, when we saw this as kids, it was everything we didn't know we wanted. Yeah, I think this movie shot the brand to the moon, really. Like, and the cartoon and the toys were already on fire at the time this movie came out. But I really do think this pushed it into the stratosphere. Oh, yeah. This, like, cemented it as a lifetime franchise. And it won't go away. And you know what? Thank God it won't, because it is a really fun property to explore. The Michael Bay movies may not have been super effective. The second one's way better than the first. first one's just a, a snooze. But the... Second uh, Michael Bay one is like pretty fun. It's fun that they get to keep redoing it, but uh, two mixed results. (laughs) Yeah, I remember watching the Michael Bay one, the first one. I've never seen all of the second one. Uh, It like was on one day. I came across it and then I had to leave. And the first one left such a bad taste in my mouth. Like they just didn't understand the franchise and what made it so popular. Right. I just couldn't do it. I own it too, by the way. I bought like the entire collection. It has the first three uh, on Blu-ray. The first three, it has the animated TMNT, and then it has the two Michael Bay. I own them, and I just don't know if I'll ever watch it. I think you'd like this. You'd like the second one more. Second one's like second one feels like an episode of the cartoon. It it's got Rocksteady and Bebop in it, and it's got uh, Kerrang in it. You'll you'll like the second one. Oh, it has yeah, that's right. It does have Krang. See, it took a lot for me not to watch it because it has Krang in it, my favorite. <laughs> so yeah, you can always skip that first one, but the second one's okay. But regardless, yeah, it's it uh, it became an ongoing property, and I I, I do want to give like major props to because we were just talking about like Michael Bay and the not understanding of the the property, Steve Barron who. We, we were just talking about him before we started rolling like is the director of like the take on me music video we've talked about him already before with the adventures of pinocchio his vision for this movie is honestly like perfect is exactly what these guys needed like i think he did a really good job directing this film and which is funny because he got taken off of it and couldn't finish it anyway <laughs> but i think he did a good job i think he set it up really well oh he didn't finish this movie no, that's why there's so many editors on the movie. It got taken away from him in the final cut. Yeah, and I think... Sally Menke. Yeah, I think she came in and really uh, finished a lot of this. I knew at one time, like, I think the first editor, so he must have been working with the director and got fired. Probably, probably. The, yeah, one of the three guys was the director's editor. Yeah, and she's listed, she's credited as the second editor, but I'm pretty sure the majority of what she did is our final cut she's so talented i think that's what kind of after yeah the director got fired i think that's what kind of took us over the finish line i think that's what i think she brought it home and you were texting me about how spectacularly based the movie is yeah it is and and she's the only editor i've ever heard of the other two don't even have wikipedia pages it's tough to find anything about the editing on this film. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't even get what you got. Where did you read that? Uh, just the IMDb trivia. Is it IMDb? Uh, that's why I... <laughs> uh, you missed our Batman episodes where we made fun of the IMDb trivia so much. Because nice. they're just so bad, some of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's some absolutely ridiculous ones. And I didn't even finish reading all the trivia on this because there was 100 entries and I was and some of them are long and I'm like, I just need the basic. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was more looking for articles and I found a lot of the articles on how much this changed people's opinions on movies of what they could make because of what Jim Henson's studio did. Yeah, suddenly more things were possible, I feel like in terms of making things that were so not real, you know, like humanoid turtles. Yeah, and I think it's really sad that there wasn't a award made for this film in, say, the Oscars or something like that, because they did something that no one had ever done. They changed a lot of the animatronics. They rewrote how it was done how they did it, like they have someone's hand inside of it, like moving up and down while the other hand is used for a joystick to move the eyes and everything's like that. Like they they changed how this was done. That's amazing. Yeah, and it it, it shows. It really does. It's, pre- it's present in the work for sure. Yeah, it's just incredible what Jim Henson's studio could do. Let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle and bring something back like Indy. Matt, I'm going to beat you to the punch. All the production studio or all the production shots, the teasers, the marketing for this. On today's show, we have something really exciting. It's questions and answers with the movie star turtle. So has being in the movies changed you guys? Well, we changed our expressions. We're bendable and our legs have gotten longer. So Hollywood has changed you. Nah, we still like to kick foot. So what's next for you guys? More movies? How about lunch? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, that's it from Hollywood. It just plastered all over the museum walls because they knocked it out of the ballpark with this too. This movie was marketed so well. Kids were foaming at the mouths to get into the theaters to watch this. They did a really good job selling not only the movie, but the the world, the product, the franchise. This toy line, this movie, these cartoons, they were marketed so well. Like you couldn't live in that time without knowing about the turtles. I mean, unless you were so young that you don't know what was going on like you were. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, Matt, how do you not know about this? I'm two. <laughs> I'm two, and it's always been here. <laughs> uh, I'd be looking over you like, you little kid, you don't know nothing. Accurate. <laughs> I, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm two. I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, what do you got for the museum? There's a lot I like in this movie uh, in terms of just things I could like pick apart. But I, I really think my favorite thing about this movie was the tone struck. I like that it is a mix kind of of the darker comic, the darker, more violent comic book, plus the fun turtles of the kind of cartoon. I think it blends really well. I love the look and the feel and kind of the vibe of the movie. I like that it's kind of dark. I like watching it on VHS where like the darks are darker and the shadows are heavier and stuff like that. Uh, I think this is a perfect movie to only watch on VHS. Yeah, I just, I like the tone. I like the vibe. I like the look. I like sort of the world we were built for this franchise, for the the movie franchise. It was so good. Uh, Now... 
getting on to the NES game. We have to talk about it. Did you ever live with the pure frustration of how hard it was? No, I don't think I played any of the Turtles related games until again later. Like I didn't I don't think I played anything until like the mid to late 90s. So no, I don't I'm not familiar with the NES game. I could only beat this game on an emulator and that's because I got to replay and memorize the levels over and over and everyone knows that I'm talking about the swimming level. This game is so hard. When I finally beat it, I have never played the game since. It is one of these games that just pissed you off so much. It was so freaking hard. It's uh, draining when you yeah. do it. You're like you're mentally and like uh, physically exhausted after doing it. <laughs> yeah, and me just joking around with how hard it is right now, I feel like a little little drained. Like, damn, it was so hard. There's so many hours poured into that. And then I remember when I was older seeing like someone play through it and I was just scrubbing through the video of how good they are and I'm like you're so annoying (laughs) and then learning like some of the secrets of how to defeat like the boss and shredder and stuff and I'm like oh oh, I wish I knew that (laughs) Uh, but I did it it's not like I put in the Nintendo cartridge and did it myself did it on an emulator whatever I don't care it's too hard you did it though, but you still did it. Like you still went through I it. Beat you it. still saw the, you know, you saw the end of the game. So you did it. Yeah. And all those NES games, the endings are so shitty. They're never <laughs> worth the struggle of how hard the games are. <laughs> That'll end it this week. What a discussion to start with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And next week we're on to the sequel that I think came out the year later, didn't it? Yeah. 91. Secret of the Ooze. Yeah, it's no secret what we're doing next. (laughs) Pretty sure they could have figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, um, I am excited to talk about a year later. Some things have changed, uh, definitely have changed. I'm curious what our discussion is going to be. I'm curious where I'm even going to fall because I haven't rewatched it again uh, in a a couple years. I've heard so many people say, that they prefer the second one to the original or over the original. But then I've also heard passionately the other side of that. It's almost like a 50, 50 thing. There are some people that love the second one over the first one, but then there's some people that are like, no way the first one. So I'm curious where I'm going to end up after we watch these. Well, the one thing that the second one definitely has over the first is the song. I mean, vanilla ice. I mean, come on. This one's got an MC Hammer song. We didn't even mention it. Uh, this one's got a, It's not good, but it has an MC Hammer song. <laughs> I don't remember where the MC Hammer song plays in this movie. It's no go ninja go ninja go. Oh, no. I mean, even Vanilla Ice. I don't know if his opinion has changed over, about the song over time, but he loves to talk about it now. Oh, yeah. Having seen uh, Vanilla Ice live a couple years ago, it wasn't in Florida, though, by the way, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a couple years ago. I saw Vanilla Ice live, and he does the full performance of this song still. Anyway, we'll save the rest of that for the second one. We'll let you guys go, so remember to be kind. And rewind.